Acts chapter 21, and we're going to just cover verses 15 through 36. As today, we're going to go over a few things. Number one, we need to give all the glory to God. Number two, uh, we need to become all things to all men. And then number three, uh, we need to remember that all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And I'll try to elaborate on these points. But we begin reading in verse 15 of Acts 21. It says, And after those days we packed and went up to Jerusalem. Also some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us and brought with them a certain nation of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we were to lodge. And so... If you remember, this is the end of the third missionary journey. They're heading to Jerusalem. Paul already knows that when I get there, I'm going to get arrested and they're going to put me into the hands of the Gentiles. And so as they're taking the 65-mile journey, it mentions a guy right here. I don't know how to pronounce it. Nason. Uh, Nason. But it mentions him probably because of the fact that he was going to lodge Jews and Gentiles together. And back then, that act of hospitality was a pretty big deal. And so, anyways, they, they arrive in Jerusalem, it says in verse 17, and when we had come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. When he had greeted them, he told in detail those things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord. And I want to pause there for a second. Because uh, to me, I mean, we could just read that and speed on and really not think much about it. But this is what they would do after every missionary journey. If you remember back in Acts chapter 14, verse 27, they did the same thing. After the first missionary journey, they went and reported to the church. It says, when they had come in, gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them. And so the second missionary journey, the same thing in Acts 18.22. Before going to his home church in Antioch, he went to the church in Jerusalem, greeted them, and undoubtedly did the same thing, gave a report of all that God had done with them. And then here we see it again uh, after the third missionary journey, giving a report of what God had done. You know, and it's important, I think, for us to really... Uh, as a church, we need to be taught these things, not what man has done, not what Paul has done, not what Barnabas has done, not what Billy Graham has done, but, but it's what God has done. You know, because the, the truth is, uh, we, you guys got to know this, we can't save a single soul. We can't help anyone as men. The Bible says in Psalm 108 verse 21, I mean, verse 12, that the help of man is useless. Uh, John chapter 15, verse 5 is a great verse. Uh, my, it's my pastor's favorite verse. It, it says, without me, Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. And so when something supernatural takes place, it's what God has done, not what man has done. That's why I love the song that we sing. We sang it today. It's out of Psalm 66. The song is called, You Are Great. And it says, come and see what God has done. Come and see what God has done for every daughter and every son. Come and hear what God has done. For everyone who fears the Lord will sing of what he's done. And all the earth will shout your praise and all the earth will sing your 
name. For you are great. For you are great. I mean, they don't sing any other name. They don't sing Paul's name. They don't sing man's name. We sing God's name. And, and for me, I just didn't want to, you know, just read this and then kind of move on because it's so important that as a church, we always understand that we've got to give glory to God and not to men. You know, whether you're giving the report of, oh, look what I've done. No, no, we never give a report like that. Look what God has done. Or when you're receiving a report, it's not like, oh, that guy's so good, man. Wow, I can't believe it. No, it's God. You know, Chris Tomlin, a while back, he wrote one of my favorite songs based out of Psalm 115, verse 1. It says, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. And and so, you know, we got to know this as a church because here's the thing. If everybody understands that, then God can move in a mighty way. God will move. There's nothing that God won't do through someone who doesn't want to touch the credit or the glory. You don't have to say my name. I don't have to be up in the spotlight. We give glory to God. Now, does that mean that God doesn't use men and women? No, it doesn't mean that. Of course, we know God has chosen to use people who make themselves available. But we have to understand that he doesn't need us. You know, we sometimes hear people say, you know, if it weren't for, you know, you and your wife or for Pastor so-and-so or Brother Bob or Sister Susie or whatever, you know, my life would be in ruins and shambles. And, you know, people say stuff like that. And, of course, we appreciate those expressions of gratitude. But but the bottom line is, if it weren't for us, um, really, then God would have raised up someone else to help you if you wanted that help. Because God does not need men, and men should never be glorified. It's okay to say thank you, but make sure we give God all the glory. You know, again, not saying that we as ministers should sit back and not assume our responsibility. I always tell you guys this, huh? God, use my life. Let us aggressively cooperate with the Holy Spirit, right? But, but I'm just saying that we need to be careful never to to touch the glory or never to give the glory to men. We read this and it's just so beautiful. And when they they heard it, they glorified the Lord. You know, in in the first time we read in Acts 14, 27, I think we have that passage, but but it's kind of cool when you look at Acts 14, 27, it says right there, now when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them it's with them and so here's the thing that we learn and we got to know this as a church that what god will use you he, he will work with you you're like a tool in his hand you know you're like a weapon in his hand that's who you are when you make yourself available you know, you're like a, a, a brush, a paintbrush. Have you guys ever, do you guys like art, you know, when you go to the museum and you see the Van Goghs and you're like, wow, that's amazing, the color and the texture. And, but you would never look at a painting like that and say, wow, what an awesome paintbrush, right? You would say, that's a pretty gifted artist, right? Same thing with craftsmanship, you know. It's not, a, it's not the skill of the saw, even though it's called the skill saw. It's not, you know, the skill of the saw. It's, it's the builder, Right? I mean, even uh, what we read right here in Acts 21, you know, it, it, notice again what it says. It says, when, 
we had greeted them. They told in detail in Acts 21, verse 19, those things which God had done among the Gentiles, notice, through his ministry. So I just want to make sure that we know this, that God works with us as tools, as weapons, and as vessels. God works through us. You know, the, the Truth and Treat Night, they had some killer champurado. I don't know if you guys tried it, man, but it was so good. So good, right? But imagine getting the champurado and, you know, it's in a, in a paper cup or whatever. And imagine if all you tasted was the paper cup. You're like, no, that's not what it's about. Give me some champurado, right? And, and that's the way it is with us. You know, when, when we're ministering, we don't, we don't want you. It's not good for you to consume, partake of, or, or, or have the, the man inside of you. What, what you need is the Lord, and what we are is vessels, hopefully vessels through whom God will work. And so when I read this right here, I just think, Lord, it's so cool, we need to know this. All glory to God in your life. Second thing we see here, though, is they're going to deal with some things going on in, in Jerusalem. Again, in verse 20, it says, And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord, and they said to him, well, You see here, brother, how many myriads of Jews there are who have believed, and they are all zealous for the law. And so when I read that right there, uh, apparently what was happening, we see now, is that some Jews were attending church, but it doesn't sound right, huh? You guys who read it, it doesn't, they shouldn't be zealous for the law. They should be zealous for the Lord, right? Something's going on. And so we read in verse 21, but they have been informed about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children nor to walk according to the customs. And... and and what they heard wasn't true. You know, Paul didn't teach the Jews not to circumcise their boys. Uh, he didn't teach them to forsake Moses or the temple. As a matter of fact, here he is going to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast. You know, Paul's message to the Gentiles was that, was that they, they, the Gentiles didn't have to be circumcised to be saved. And it wasn't just his message. It was a message that the entire church had agreed upon in Acts chapter 15. And so there's something going on right here. And here's what we're going to see, you guys, is that the devil is alive. The devil is well. The devil has an army that come against us. And according to John chapter 8, verse 44, he's two things. Number one, he's a liar. And number two, he's a murderer. And, and we're going to see that those are the two things that the enemy is going to use now to try to get Paul. They begin with these lies, like Paul taught these things. No, he didn't teach these things, but there's a war going on. And so these guys are going to try to deal with it. Ultimately, God's going to have the final word. We read in verse 23, uh, he says, well, what then? In verse 22, the assembly must certainly meet, for they will hear that you have come. Therefore, do what we tell you. We have four men who have taken a vow Take them, be purified with them, and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads and that all may know that those things of which they were informed concerning you are nothing but that you yourself also walk orderly and keep the law. 
But concerning the Gentiles who believe, we have written and decided that they should observe no such thing except that they should keep themselves from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. And so, you know, they're, they're dealing with this thing and they basically suggest to Paul to prove to the Jews that he's still Jewish by sponsoring these four men who were entering into a vow. It was probably taken from Numbers chapter 6, the Nazarite vow. And they say, you know, you go to the temple with them, you pay for them, you prove to them that you yourself are still open to these things. Now, when it came to the law, the Jewish law, it was no longer an obligation, but it was an observation. It wasn't for salvation. It was just Paul there, you know, saying, hey, it's cool what God has done. The law was a shadow of the substance to lead us to the Lord, but it's okay. You know, we can still do these things, right? Like we can still do Christmas, right? You guys like Christmas? You guys ready for that? Looking forward to that? Some of you are like, no, I'm a Grinch now. <laughs> and listen, if you don't want to celebrate Christmas, that's okay. Um, if you do, praise God, we're not going to judge each other over these things. You know, and Paul here is saying, I'm willing to do the vow. I'm, I'm going to show them that I'm not an anti-Jewish. And so he yields to their suggestion. He's submissive to them. And, uh, and we're going to find that these guys are probably holding a little bit too tightly to the law of Judaism. You know, just as a side note here, a lot of theologians believe that if it were not for the ministry uh, of men like Paul, then Judaism would have, I mean, Christianity would have simply been a branch of Judaism instead of a tree, you know, set free. And so we're going to have to fight uh, for these things. But here we see Paul agreeing to what they suggested. And, and you might wonder, well, just out of curiosity, why did he agree to do this? We, we, we didn't have to. And the answer is he's a peacemaker and he's a preacher. The answer is because he had a heart for the church that was kind of divided and he had a heart for the lost who are doomed. And the answer is that Paul was willing to become all things to all men. So that they might be saved. And, and what we find, you guys, and I don't know if you feel the same thing that I feel, man, but isn't this what life is all about? What's your life about? What wakes you up in the morning? What keeps you going? I mean, I personally believe it should be because I love the Lord and I love the lost. And that was Paul. I'm willing to become all things to all men. We, we read it in 1 Corinthians 9. I was wondering if you would turn there. In 1 Corinthians 9, notice what Paul wrote in verse 19. He says, for though I am free from all men, and by the way, he had already written this letter. He says, for though I'm free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. And to the Jews, I, I became as a Jew that I might win Jews. And to those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. Uh, to those who are without law, as without law not being without law toward God, but under the law toward Christ. I mean, in other words, you know, he didn't, you know, sacrifice animals 
for salvation because Jesus had already taken care of that. So he was willing to do the, the thing we read in, in you know, the book of Acts. He says, but under the law toward Christ that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became as weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men that I might by all means. That means in any way possible, if there's anything I can do, I will do it, not compromising, but I will do what God's called me to do to save some. And I don't know, I pray that we would all have that same heart. This is why we live. Not to make money, but to make disciples. We were saved to serve so that others would be saved to serve. This is why we live. You know, and so to the Jew, he says, I want to win the Jew. And you guys know Paul had a heart for them. It would be like me. And just there's something special in my heart for the people of Almani. And, you know, you, I can be anywhere in the whole wide world, but you tell me that person's from Almani, and all of a sudden they have a special place in my heart. And for Paul, that's the way it was with the Jews. He loved the Jews. You know, and so I want to win them to the Lord. And so he goes and hangs out with the Jews. Turns out that they don't eat bacon. <laughs> He's like, oh, are you serious? You don't eat bacon? Okay, I'm, I'm down on this. I'll just have some eggs. That's fine, you know. And, and so to them, he would you'd do whatever he needed to do to, to be with them. And then he'd go over here with the Gentiles. And these guys, homeboys, eat chorizo, man. He's like, yeah, I'll eat chorizo. You know, let's grub on this, compapas. You know, and so he's good with that. And then that one over there, they're weak. And, you know, for whatever reason, I don't know, their their rules are they have no electricity. You know, they have that, you know, whatever, legalistic uh, mentalities. Oh, it's fine. I'll go with you. You think electricity is bad? That's fine. And I just want to win you to the Lord. And that becomes a mentality. And we become all things to all men. You know, like if you were to, teach uh, the kids in their classroom, you'd probably be a little different. You'd be more animated, right? I mean, if you were to teach the youth in the back room right here, you'd probably try so hard to be cool, (laughs) even though you're not. (laughs) And they'll see right through it. Most important thing with the youth is that you love them. But you know what I'm saying? I mean, you kind of modify it. You're willing to do that because you love the Lord so much. You really do love the people so much. And what we find as we we read through our text today is that all glory to God. And and I'm willing to become all things to all men. And and that's what Paul is doing here. You know, back in the book of Acts, in chapter 21 and verse 26, it says, Then Paul took the men, and the next day, having been purified with them, entered the temple to announce the expiration of the days of purification, at which time an offering should be made for each one of them. Now when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people, the law, and this place, and furthermore, He also brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. 
And so, you know, Paul is doing his best to become all things to all men, to be a peacemaker, to be an evangelist. But Satan wouldn't have it. You know, Satan wouldn't have it. You guys know this, 1 John 5, 19, that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And so the bottom line is uh, the saints and the ain'ts are on different teams. The wolves will always go after the sheep. You see? And that's what's going on here. I mean, Paul's trying, but it's not going to happen because the enemy there, he's got a stranglehold on these religious guys. And so, you know, they, they, they lie. Paul's not doing anything wrong. He's submitting to leadership of the church. I mean, he's cooperating, going with the flow. He's on board with their program. But the Lord Jesus Christ predicted the fact that his people would be hated. It says in Luke 21, verse 17, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. He said in John 15, verses 18 and 19, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And so Jesus said they hated me. And and you guys know they killed him. And here's the thing. If you're hardcore, I'm not talking about some nominal Christian. You won't be hated. Jesus said, beware when all men speak well of you. But if you're hardcore holding to the truth of God's word and you're not compromising, then you will be hated. You know, I mean, you know, we're going to see this is about to happen to Paul and really all who love the Lord that are making a difference. We're going to be a target of the enemy. You know, if you're out there in your school and your workplace and your family and you're telling them there's only one way to heaven and his name is Jesus, then they're going to hate you. If you say that a life of sexual immorality and homosexuality you know, addiction to pornography, idolatry. If, there's, if, you, if you call that sin, if you call sin, sin, they'll hate you. You know, if you hold to the sanctity of life, not the mother's right to choose, but the child's right to live, they'll hate you. Why? Because the world is under the sway of the wicked one. And you are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. You are apostles of Christ. You are missionaries in this world. You are lights in the darkness. You are sheep among wolves. And so what we find is that this happens. Christians are targets. And we can try all we want, but at the end of the day, light and dark do not mix. And that's what's happening now to Paul. You know, they're going to hurl these arrows of accusation against him, things that are not true. You know, they say he he taught against the people. No, he loved the people. You know, he he taught against the law. No, Jesus fulfilled the law. And so here he's even participating in aspects of the law. They accuse him of bringing a Gentile into the temple, and we're going to see that that really infuriated them, but no such thing was true. So they're, they're lying And they want to kill him. We read in verse 30, And all the city was disturbed, and the people ran together, seized Paul, and dragged him out of the temple. And immediately the doors were shut. I mean, can you picture someone coming in here and pulling someone out the doors right there? Shutting the doors. And now as they were seeking to kill him, news came to the commander of the garrison that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. And one thing Rome won't do is put up with a riot. And he immediately took soldiers and centurions, 
So as at least 200 soldiers ran down to them, and when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the commander came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains. He asked who he was and what he had done, and some among the multitude cried one thing and some another, and so when he could not ascertain the truth because of the tumult, he commanded him to be taken into the barracks. And when he reached the stairs, he had to be carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. For the multitude of the people followed after, crying out, away with him, away with him. And so there's no question, when you guys read this, huh? there's no question as to whose influence they're under, right? These people are under the influence of, of the enemy. They, they think they're so right, but they run after him, catch him, drag him, beat him, and try to kill him. And so the commander finds out, he intervenes, and, and what we find is that in looking at this right here, this is a, a, you know, the, 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 the truth of 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, and you guys got to know this. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And there are some of you here today who, are, who have suffered persecution, just like Paul. You know, where, where you, you were serving the Lord or you're serving the Lord, and, and, and then, you know, one day the devil comes up to God and he says, you know, hey, um, you know, I saw that guy over there. God's like, you know, talking with him about what's going on on the earth. And then the Satan says, well, um, you know, God says, have you seen my servant Job? He's blameless and upright. He fears God. He shuns evil. Have you seen my, my, my servant? And he names your name, your name. God names your name. And, and have you seen what I've done in his life? Have you seen the way his life has changed? Have you seen the way he's not drinking anymore? He's not doing drugs anymore? He's trying to lead his family to the Lord. Have you seen that? And Satan says, yeah, I've seen it. But the only reason he's serving you is because you have a big old hedge of protection about him. Let me touch him. Let me get at him. Let me get at his family. And you watch. He'll curse you to your face. And so the Lord says, okay, go ahead. You know, and God gives limitations you know, there's certain things that the devil can't do, but God also gives permission. And the devil comes in and he has a field day with Job. And you guys know his story, right? Remember Job? He lost all his money. He lost his job. He lost all his money. He lost all his health. He was covered in boils from head to toe. He was suffering in pain. I mean, he, you know, as a, as a man, he just wanted to die. And all his kids died. And he was persecuted because he was so right on. And that, you guys, I'm just telling you this because we got to know this is what the Bible teaches. All glory to God. We got to make sure we do that. And all things to all men. We got to make sure we do that. But we got to know that all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Why is God telling you that? So that you could prepare yourself, number one. Prepare yourself. You know, if I told you that when you walk out that door right there that you were going to get socked in the face, would you prepare yourself? How many of you would go out that door? I'm just curious. <laughs> I mean, you prepare yourself. You're like, okay, I love the Lord. I'm not going to stop loving the Lord. And so the trials are going to come. 
uh, maybe I'll put a helmet on. I'm not sure, but I got to get ready for this. You know, and the devil comes in and the things that you're suffering is because, you know, you love the Lord. And some of you here, you don't even know why, but you feel so oppressed by the enemy. When you look at your life, it seems like everything's okay. Some of you here, but it's because the, the, the devil himself is oppressing you. Some of you are suffering from depression. That's a persecution of the enemy. Physical ailments, sickness, illness, financial struggles. Here's the one that, that just gets me the most. Attacks on my children. I mean, if you have kids... you know that that love is so deep. That's why the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I mean, what a love. And if you have kids, man, you know, I mean, I know to me, I thank God, uh, to me, I love you guys, but man, the highlight of my life is to spend time with my Lord and time with my family, my wife and my kids. I don't care if we're, you know, if I'm taking my daughter to Target. I don't really want to go, but um, <laughs> I've learned in my life, this is wonderful. She needs a ride here. I love this time with her or my son, you know, watching the Lakers together. You know, going to hit some golf balls together or, or whatever. You know, going, you know, to get some food together because that's his love language. You know, what, whatever. <laughs> I'm no dummy. I know the devil's going to come after my kids. Some of you here, you have experienced the passing of a loved one. Like Job did. You know, and I don't, I'm not saying like it's all the devil and all that kind of stuff, but I will say this, that it is a form of persecution that we see in the Bible. And it's hard. So, so you're telling me, well, Manny, you know, yes, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And now you're telling me that the passing of a loved one can actually be persecution. And why are you even telling me that? Well, because when you look at the persecution in the Bible... Here's a, here's a thing that hopefully will lift you up. It always has purpose. Paul would get arrested. Paul was hated. Paul, they wanted to kill him. Paul went through all this. Paul was now chained, double chained. Paul would spend two years in jail in Caesarea and then two years under house arrest in Rome. And then, you know, you fast forward about four years later and they would chop his head off. A man who did nothing but love the world. And it all had purpose. He was in prison because now that would open doors for him to testify to kings and governors and to the emperor of Rome. He was in prison because now he could slow down and write some letters that we now have in the Bible. See, understand that, that persecution, because you love the Lord Jesus Christ, I know it's hard. And 
You know, Jesus talked about it in John 16, in the world you will have tribulation, but he said, but be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. The world's going to come and they're going to try to take it and use it for bad, but I will use it for good. And Paul said in Acts 14, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. This is the path. I'm not telling you about a Christianity where everything goes good, man, and it all, that, isn't that, isn't that the, if God loves me, then shouldn't everything happen just the way that I want it? No. We're talking about a real love, a real Christianity, a real God who sent his son to die on a cross for us. And he can take those things that look so bad, and he will, and I promise you, he will make them so good. Because when I think about the history of the world, I think the most horrible thing that ever happened was when Jesus Christ was nailed to a cross and he bore my sin, our sin, the sins of the world, and he suffered the wrath of God upon sin. He experienced that for us. He was separated from his father. It was the most horrible thing that has ever taken place, but it was the most wonderful thing that has ever taken place because it is, is there that we were saved. And you see how God can take everything and work it together for good to those who love him and who are the called according to his purposes. In Genesis 50, 20, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And so that's where we need to be, you guys. And they were saying, away with him, away with him, Paul, I couldn't help but think of Jesus when they said the same thing to him. Away with him. Such a man is not fit to live. Crucify him. Crucify him. And in their plan, God saved the world. You know, if you're here today and you're struggling, I I just pray that you would remember this skit. Remember this message, man. It's a simple message. You know, that Jesus loves you, died on a cross for you. He can break the chains. He can set you free. You know, if you've never made that commitment, then today's a day of salvation. Today's a day. God's calling your name. But if you have, and maybe you are a Christian, you've been struggling, uh, there's also sometimes those chains, man, that he needs to break. And, you know, I... I um. One thing I've learned as a pastor is I can never really word it right. I just can't. Sometimes I wish I could. I wish I could just say it just right, but I can't. But in in the skit, the way that he just held out his hand, to me, that's the best way to try to communicate that to you. If you need help, If you need help today, just hold out your hand to the Lord. Say, Lord, help me. And God will. 